All right. Hello and welcome to Realcom's first installment in our three-part corporate real estate series. I'm Chuck Neiswanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom host for today's webinar, What Does Hybrid Workplace Look Like? Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. You'll notice a different format today as we maximize panel discussion with a dynamic group of specialists in workplace strategies. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box on the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions if we can, but if we don't uh, get answered uh, during the webinar, don't worry, we'll follow up with you once the event has concluded. You'll find today's presentation and a more comprehensive uh, present, uh, presenter bios in the handout section of the GoToWebinar control panel. And for the best experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. You may also want to take notes with pad and paper. It really is that high of quality of information, so uh, be prepared. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is always disconnect and reconnect with the webinar link again. You can also email Ian at ithompson, I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you will receive a link to the webinar recording probably later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding technology partners, Let's start with our friends at AppSmart. I want to introduce to you Ali Nuru and Scott Kinka, and they'll talk a little bit about the future of work. Ali is a founding member of CNSG, an AppSmart company, and Scott Kinka is the Chief Strategy Officer at Bridgepoint. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say about the future of work. Thanks very Thank much. You for having Thank you, Chuck, for having us. Uh, we're glad to be here today. Um, Sally Nuru here, CSG founding member. Uh, we are a procurement team uh, that works with essentially every supplier on the telecom, traditional telecom TDM side, hosted VoIP, ISP, network compute. Um, so we're a complete uh, agnostic neutral partner that um, supplies, procures, and supports clients' network and infrastructure. And so here to talk a little bit about our experience in, in real estate uh, and what we've seen you know, pre-COVID and during COVID and now as we graduate out of the pandemic. Thank you for having us. Scott? Fantastic. Why don't you kick us through to the next slide there, Ali, if you would. There we go. All right, lots on this slide, and we're starting with the with the scary slide on purpose, right? Uh, this is this slide from 2018. Uh, it was uh, designed by Gartner, and it was designed basically in one of their really heady papers to talk about how the workplace was moving at that time. Forget that the pandemic was about to happen from a controlled perimeter to a perimeterless environment. Um, and what that really means, if you think about it, left-hand side of this is on-premises data centers, Windows-only apps, corporate Wi-Fi, you know, PCs that are owned by the business, shifting in the direction of agnostic cloud apps that don't require an on-premise data center. Most of our workers over public internet or perhaps on cellular or public Wi-Fi maybe bringing their own endpoints, you know, in a, in a methodology that's not under the control of IT. Um, 
this was sort of a, a next look. Hey, what's going to happen over the next 10 years, you know, in Gartner's eyeballs from 2018? Um, on the left-hand side, again, was under their control. On the right side, out of control. I think, you know, the best way to encapsulate where we see tech leaders today and what they're experiencing is that we moved from the left column to the right column in the span of 12 months, maybe 18 months post March of 2020. And not that the right side didn't exist, but what happened is we got orf the left side got orphaned. Right. So go ahead, click me forward there, Ali, if you would. To, to sum this up very, very simply, um, this is how we think about the market. Uh, just waiting for that, waiting for the good segue here on the image. Uh, how we really see the market is that the base unit of measure in a tech leader's world has changed from locations, quantities of locations to quantities of human, right? It really just, every strategy that we are talking with tech leaders about today isn't about, you know, it used to be, hey, it's about the WAN, hey, it's about the firewall, hey, it's about adaptive security at the edge of the office. Hey, it's about maybe beginning to move the data center out into the cloud, the applications that are there. Now it's all around, how do I make a consistent and secure access environment for the humans in my business? Whether the location is home, probably still the majority of the time now, um, or in a location, we're moving in that direction. Ali, I don't know if you'll want to add any color to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, at, at the level of dealing with property managers, tenant reps, and uh, AV vendors and moves, I do have, I'm looking about 24 LOIs that of clients moving and they need, you know, internet, procure, internet procurement, voice, and data. But Scott's right, the brick and mortar of going to someone's website, looking up their offices, um, and, and, and treating the offices as a node is, is a lot different now. We're doing a lot more of secure access service edge and looking at the end user and where they are and then socializing about carrier's law and nomadic E911 and things of that nature. So Scott's right, it's more about people. And I think that will still be the same as the world repairs itself and people do go back in the office, whether it's three days a week or anything. And we're gonna to touch to that later in this call, but that's a really good point here, Scott. Thank you. Absolutely, you can click that forward, Ali. Yeah. Yep. Well, we what we do when we approach uh, a, a customer and, and helping them is we just start with the future of work framework. You know, I, I read um, I think it was a Forbes article that said 50 percent of businesses have yet to define, actually agree on and define what their return to work strategy is. We're still in the hey, we're working the way we're working, come in a little bit. Not everyone's there except for businesses, obviously, that have a physical requirement, manufacturing, medical, things of that nature. Um, so when we meet with customers, we just sort of step through a very, very simple framework that's user centric and then moves on out. And we start by just saying, you know, let's identify who the people are, who are the humans in your business? What are their job functions? How do they work? Where do they work? What are the applications that are critical? Is this a group of employees that are going to be here for a long time? Or are these transient workers that are maybe on shift or seasonal or perhaps are in an area of the business where people don't stay for three, five, six, eight, ten years, right? Figure out those identities and then work your way out. And the rest of it just kind of designs itself, right? Once you've got those sort of buckets that people are in, you can decide in each one, you know, what are the devices that are important to them? How do you want to manage network and the network assets they need asset access to? I think third, most importantly, how do we how do we standardize and kind of mature this collaboration strategy that we ran to during the pandemic? And then ultimately, what's their experience and what's the experience of their customers, particularly in businesses that perhaps have 
end customer facing roles inside of that business. But it's just a simple framework that sort of, again, takes the conversation and starts from people and moves out to the locations where they work rather than starts with locations and moves into the people with the goal really of flexibility and location independence. It doesn't mean locations not being important. It means users being able to operate consistently across the locations where they work, whether that be home or in the office. And we'll talk about what works really well or doesn't work well there, you know, coming up. Last slide, one more, Ali, and then we'll we'll move the presentation ahead and get into the meat of this thing. Uh, you know, listen, depending on the pundit, the magazine, the article, the New York Times or the what have you, you're going to hear people talk about, you know, what their belief is of the state of the office on a go forward basis. I just popped one in here um, about, you know, what we see in terms of reduction in office spaces, leases expire. We, we don't look at it that way. Uh, the reality of it, every customer that we're talking to is asking us how to deliver the same level of flexibility they, they, that they have been offering people and affording people in their homes when they return and what's the form or fashion in which they're going to return. So we think the way that we've changed, has, we work has changed forever, but I think that for everybody on this call is our go forward opportunity and we're looking forward honestly to chatting a bit more about that in the, in the next hour and some change. All right. I'll leave it Thank you guys so much uh, for introducing, you know, what a great introduction to the, the idea of the future of work and uh, look forward to ch uh, catching up with you on the panel discussion towards the uh, towards the end. So uh, thank you for that. I do want to introduce uh, also uh, a little bit of company you may or may not know, GridSense, uh, an award winner at, uh, at Realcom, and uh, you'll hear more about them right here. Step into the world of smart real estate with GridSense, a data-driven Internet of Things solution for workplaces. Modern offices have many problems, from poor employee experience to inefficient space utilization to energy losses. GridSense uses an industry-first, pre-integrated, edge-processed, wireless closed-loop system of IoT sensors and intelligence to transform your workplace into a smart office. Our sensors monitor usage patterns to deliver actionable intelligence for optimizing office space. We track the ambient conditions and ensure ideal lighting with optimal energy. We harness environment data to provide a smart HVAC experience. GridSense empowers your organization with the best employee experience, higher efficiency, and more energy savings. GridSense is accessible. GridSense is green. GridSense is highly secure. GridSense is future-proof. A proud finalist at the Digi Awards at Realcom IBCon 2022, Orlando, Florida. GridSense is intelligence in every sense. All right, and thank you to all our technology partners, really workplace strategists, spatial designer, and all those who make these webinars possible for our Realcom followers. And finally, our moderator for today, uh, proud to have her back, Kay Sargent, Senior Principal, Director of Workplace at HOK. Welcome, Kay. Hey, Chuck. Uh, good, well, good. I'm gonna make sure your sound's working. I'll get out of your way and join you in a few minutes uh, for uh, our panelist introductions. Great, wonderful. Well, we're really excited to be able to be here today and we're going to have an exciting conversation and get a little real about some of the things that are happening. But one of the things that we just kind of wanted to do before we start, just to kind of level set a little bit about some of those things that we're seeing, 
kind of the voice of the end user, how we're envisioning successful hybrid solutions. So just wanted to kind of start first with a call to action. I, I am a practicing designer. I have been in this industry for 37 years. In that time, I have never seen such energy and excitement and attention put to the way we work, uh, how we work, where we work, what we do, et cetera, all of that. And so we really have a unique opportunity right now to really innovate and evolve and to kind of take things to the next level. And so when we're traveling around and we're meeting with heads of corporate real estate and CEUs, CEOs, some of the big things that are top of mind for them right now are really health, safety, and well-being. That wasn't the number one concern. We would have all been in the office the entire time. And of course, that is still a concern because we're still in the middle of kind of an evolving situation. How we deal with remote work and then how, of course, we bring people back to the office when we want them to come back. Business resiliency and ensuring that companies thrive. The purpose of place because we no longer have to go to an office to work. So what is the purpose of the office today? And then, of course, ESGs, environmental, social, and governance issues are a big topic today. Now, there's some things that we know. We know that during the course of the pandemic, our time online has increased by 252%. We're spending a lot of time staring at computers. We also know that there are a lot of tenants that are really thinking about how do they contract or consolidate their office space, or how do they use it differently? And so about 52% of people in a recent survey said that they were going to really think about contracting that space. And about 9% said that they're gonna keep their portfolio the same, and 39% said that they were gonna expand. Now, let's be honest, it isn't equitable across the board. It can vary from city to city, but it varies significantly industry to industry. So we know that the tech companies and the logistic companies and the science and technology companies have really had a boom during the pandemic. And so they are actually actively expanding their space. Some indications of late might say that they expanded a bit too far and now they're putting the brakes on some things. But a lot of that 38% bucket really falls into very, very specific industries. We also know that workers have said that they would consider quit quitting if they had to come back to the office full time. In fact, 64% said that. And so because of that, six out of 10 firms believe that they will lose talent if they don't incorporate some type of a hybrid work pattern going forward. But 39 or 35% of those individuals said, well, maybe if you give me a little bit of flexibility, I might not quit, I might actually stay but that little flexibility can make a huge difference. So what we also know is that about 70% of companies today are implementing a hybrid solution. They're blending on-site and remote work as they go forward. But it's important that we understand we don't want that to end up being the worst of both. Now, a Cornette study recently showed that one of the main reasons people think that coming to the office is so important is because they still consider the office kind of that hub of creativity or innovation or the best place for companies really to build back social capital and culture in a post-pandemic world. And that's driven by the fact that 30, 25 to 30% of the workforce has been hired during COVID. And for some companies that are targeting people right out of college, that number can be significantly higher. So that means that there's a huge percentage 
of the workforce that has never really shared uh, space together or met many of their colleagues, and that is having an impact. And so it's one of the reasons that's kind of driving this need for this hybrid solution as we go forward. It's also interesting to see that when we find out, okay, well, what are people actually doing now? 30%, 36% of the workforce are now hybrid workers, and 53 uh, consider that they will likely transition to that this year. Now, I have to tell you, when I first saw that number, I thought it was low, because I would have thought it would have been a lot higher. But here's the reality, because we have to look at that number. Only 60% of the workforce can even work in a hybrid manner in certain countries. So in the US where this poll was taken, again, only 60% of that workforce can even work that way. So you're saying that 53% of, you know, with the maximum number that could ever be is 60, is actually really a high percentage. The other 40% are people that might be service industry, they're doctors, they work in labs, they have specialty equipment, they're on site, so they don't necessarily have that same flexibility to be able to do that. Now, the panel's really going to get into this because one of the things that we want to know is what's working and what's not. But I think one of the things we're going to share also is that we need to understand the reasons. We need to clearly articulate the why. Why is it so important for people to kind of be in shared spaces in order to have this new hybrid philosophy? And so part of that might be building back a social capital or to reinforce teamwork or to create that sense of belonging. It could be for culture or not just productivity, but the quality of what is being produced, driving for innovation, to give people an opportunity to move and to be physically engaged, or professional development, access to coaches and mentors, or equity and inclusion, because we know that often people that are out of sight tend to be out of mind, that proximity bias exists, or it could be sustainability because most of our buildings are still running, but our houses often aren't as energy efficient and they're belching out carbon because we're all spending more time there utilizing our electricity and our HVAC systems. And or it could just be engagement. We know that people can really be empowered or engaged or energized by being with other people. So all of those things are things that we need to consider when we kind of look at this mix. And so as we go forward, there's some major shifts. We're shifting from having to go to a place to work to being kind of what is the purpose of that place and really being very intentional. We're shifting from uh, being just very professional to introducing our entire selves and being more whole and really addressing diversity, equity, and inclusivity. We're shifting from just focusing on are we producing to the quality of what is being produced and are we innovating and is that relevant and is it helping take us forward? From very siloed, we're all on our individual laptops to more of the internet of things and how can we leverage technology, just like we saw in some of those amazing videos in the beginning, to really kind of help people have an enhanced experience. And rather from one size misfits all, to how do we really create spaces that offer variety, options, more choice, that really address uh, a greater diversity of individuals today. And so thinking about that ecosystem with options and choices, opportunities to connect, bond, socialize, that professional development, learning, mentoring, creating great experiences and moments that matter, and then also looking at seamless transitions and equity. Those are all the things that we're going to talk about today in our panel as we go forward.
because we firmly believe that we are no longer just designing environments, we're designing the experience. So Chuck, how about introducing the panel uh, All so right. we can get That's into a, a meeting conversation? How about that? I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's bring everybody back on camera. Uh, of course, thank you, Kay, for the for the great introduction there. Ali and Scott, we met. I want to introduce uh, Kunal Desai. He's the lead for the Facilities Engineering Program at Google. You can wave if you like. Stuart Gray, uh, Senior Vice President for Strategy, Transformation Analytics at Wells Fargo. And Bimal Desai, Founder and Principal of DSP Design. Kay, I know you're ready to dive in with this panel, so I'm going to get out of your way. All right. Okay. We're going to do it. So um, welcome, gentlemen. I'm excited about the conversation. We've had a, a few discussions in advance and, and we could have talked for hours and hours, but we're going to try to keep it like tight and we're going to go for it. So I'm going to tell you, I put down a little challenge to everybody on this panel that no grandstanding, no tagging on, that we want to try to get to. We have, we have nine questions to get to, or actually 10, and you guys get to judge whether we get through them all. So let's start with the very first one. Uh, and uh, Kanal, I'm going to start with you and we're going to go around. This is one of the few questions I'm going to let everybody answer real quickly. But the question is, how do you rate your team's ability uh, to really or work effectively over the last two years? How have you guys done? What do you think? Thanks, Kay. Uh, so um, and good morning to everybody. Um, it's been a really interesting journey as uh, you know, hybrid work has become the new normal over the last two years. And, and for some, we really continue to navigate it, right? So the ability to work effectively has sort of evolved uh, for us from the very low twos to threes to just understanding what the new normal is, right? Because basically our new normal, which was our business as usual, had become sort of a little bit chaotic and, and sort of remote. And then once when we started making that remote work, your BAU, your business, figuring out, you know, how do we get to places or how we talk to people or, you know, how do we, the two minute conversations that we could have had on the hallway, I just needed to set up a meeting for that. So yeah. I'm saying we're, you know, starting from the very low twos and the threes out of tens to really working out our effectiveness over the past two years and making it to the six and the sevens has been quite the journey. So that's are you at the six or the sevens, do you think? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'll reserve my thoughts for the questions afterwards, okay. but it's a really <laughs> <Yeah>. good conversation. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, Ali, what do you think? What, how have you guys been doing? Was that for me? I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. Okay. Well, we're doing, I mean, we're doing well. I mean, we're seeing obviously um, a huge uptick in collaboration. Uh, efficiency and onboarding and adoption uh, in the workplace utilizing uh, unified communications. That's a, that's been a big piece. Now, make no mistake, and I think Scott touched on this, but this is we've been rolling out unified communications, soft phone mobility, work from home in disaster, and also just flexibility and efficiency for years prior to that. Um, and and, and it's surprised that a lot of our clients just really didn't adopt the technology or the users just really didn't engage in it. Um, because we saw a huge uptick. I mean, almost embarrassment of riches in unified communications from March 2020 to now, right? Frankly, so, so Charlie, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to rate it. So, if where were we in the beginning? Like, what would you score it on a scale of one to ten? And where do you think we are now? Kamal said a two to a seven. Where do you think? A three to a seven. Oh, okay. uh, well, just because I, I do, I, just because I'm on the ground level doing it all day, engaging with the end user and client, I, I, I saw it just from a different set of eyes. Um, I do think that during that, 
there were also two monsters and behemoths that rolled out technologies, one being Zoom and one being Microsoft. So beyond just the pandemic itself and the madness of the workplace, talking about locations, brick and mortar to end users mm -hmm. and zero trust and security, there was also the fact that two behemoth technologies and titans were battling and there was confusion over how to utilize them correctly. And that's a completely different conversation. But um, I think that also um, provided a dynamic uh, that people weren't prepared for. Yeah, we could actually maybe argue there's three or four of those behemoths, but maybe two yeah. two right to the top. So Stuart, what do you think? How, how have you all been able to do it? You've got people that are all over the place. You've got a massive organization. How, how do you think you guys have been able to handle it? Yeah, okay. Very similar to the other two panelists, right? We just heard from Kanal and Ali. Um, you know, thinking back two years when we all went home, March uh, 2020, uh, it was a little rocky at first. Uh, we had an advantage. We were already about 40% of our folks were working hybrid pre-pandemic. Uh, so I'd rate us more at kind of that four scale around there beginning. We, we had the routines in place. We have folks all over the country. We're used to doing virtual calls. Um, we rolled out new technology you know things like zoom teams i uh, got used to video conferencing i think that's ramped up over the past two years we also returned to office back in march in a hybrid work environment for the whole organization so i'd put ourselves at about a, a seven or eight right now um but so we've seen that spectrum you know rocket first to improving we're still figuring out how to blend that kind of in-person and virtual together uh, we're seeing a lot of benefits to getting folks back on site in our big meeting and event centers doing in-person conferences. So yeah. we look to do more of that. All right, all right. You guys are giving me lots of food for thought here because I really want to know what that other 3%, you know, the, the three, what would get you to a 10? And we're going to ask that in a following question. But Mal, I'm going to ask you to answer the question. But before I do that, I want to hear a little bit from the audience too. So Ian, can we launch our first poll? And we're asking you the same question. Uh, and we've just, we're giving you five choices here, very effective, somewhat effective, same as COVID, you know, operations the same, uh, somewhat challenging or very challenging. And while the audience is responding to that, Bamal, why don't you, you weigh in on how you would rate your organization's ability to function effectively? Thanks, Kay. And then I, I hear the viewpoints of Kunal uh, from Google and Ali and Stuart. So uh, I, I have two parts to this answer. Uh, one is DSP as, as master planners, architects, interior designers who work across uh, Pan-India. So uh, we, we come from the DNA of really teaming up together, working together, creating stuff. And that, that part in the last two years has been one area where we have seen some challenges, real challenges, because when you create, you co-create, you engage, impromptu engagement is the key. And that's, that's that part is kind of really took a hit in the early part. And in terms of now coming coming back to work and when we are moving, <laughs> you guys all know what I'm doing, right? Trying to get the lights to come back on. I got to wave my arms. Sorry, Bamal. <laughs> right. uh, so we we have uh, we have moved also to more hybrid work style, and and that's now kind of bringing the team back together. So from the lower levels, we are back to around seven or eight. But from the perspective of what we do as workplace strategists for our clients, like the Googles, the Microsoft, and the NVIDIAs, uh, I, I think you just hit the right uh, point, the social capital, the upskilling part, the new hiring part, and, and those people who are siloed uh, and, and not attached to the culture and the brand identity of the company. 
that's where the effectiveness or the efficiency has seen serious drops uh, from our eyes as well as strategists. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, we're, I'm in the same boat as you, right? I work for an architectural firm. We're used to rolling up our sleeves, throwing something on the table, you know, all working together. And so uh, we've had to get very creative and we've, we've, it's kind of forced us to do things in an interesting way. So Scott, how, how would you, uh, do you agree with Ali and how he rated the organization and what would you say? Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think it's partly, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy question to ask a tech company who probably was already positioned from a, from a light technology footprint perspective, how they did in the pandemic, right? Most technology companies are like, hey, we just worked someplace else today. That's fine, we right. were already positioned. I think it's probably more interesting to answer the question in terms of what we saw from our customers. And I, I think that the, the experience was always based on how light, sort of how light their employee and application experience already was. Right. Pre-pandemic, our experience- Where they were on that path of adoption. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think the, the here's the good news. I think that the pandemic probably moved, pushed five years of adoption forward in about five months in collaboration, online chat, asynchronous communication, video. Right. Fantastic. But, but now hey, we're. But, but hold on a second. I gotta say, I think we're 15 years behind. So getting us five, we're. I still think we're 10 years behind. Like I'm glad we made up five years. Sure. You know, but we still gotta wait. I can't believe how many people aren't using technology to the fullest extent. Like honestly, it's it wow. still shocks me. It's really interesting, kind of what Ali said. What he was like at the end, right as the pandemic hit, we had customers calling, going, "How do I use the stuff I already bought?" <laughs> I mean, and it was really the situation that yeah. we were in. How do you put it into culture? So you look, I would say that at, a, at an effectiveness perspective, I would agree on our organization. We're sort of in that seven, eight kind of range. I think a lot of businesses have gotten a little bit closer to that. I know we're gonna ask in a future question, so I won't spill the popcorn what that remaining 30% is, we'll get to that. But yeah. I agree with Bimal, it's, it's really the cultural stuff, I think as a, as a workplace, not just our company, but multiples are still struggling with sort of, you know, how do we, how do we deal with, not flexibility, but loyalty post-pandemic, right? right? One of the things that we'll get to, I'm sure. All right, well, let's see how our, our audience waited. Ian, do we have the, the result of the poll? Ah, oh, this is interesting. Okay, so nobody said it was very challenging. That's interesting. 26 said it was somewhat challenging, same as the pandemic. So maybe I have to assume maybe for those individuals, and you can write in the chat if you want to, uh, that they were probably already doing some of that and so it was just kind of business at normal somewhat effective and very effective well that's good g great to hear that 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 but there's still a little bit of uh, wiggle room and some ways to improve so now let's take that same question and ian while you've got it let's put the poll up right away um how do you rate your organization's ability to really meet effectively? Have you had good meetings, you know? And I, and I want you to think, I'm gonna broaden your horizons here. I want you to think about, you know, cameras not being on, not being able to read body language, you know, uh, not having the meeting before the meeting or the, or the meeting after the meeting, people not showing up or zooming from one call to another or, you know, any of those things. Let's put all of that stuff into the bucket. And uh, Bamal, I'm going to start with you while our audience is responding. How have you guys been able to meet? Because, you know, you, we talked about you do a lot of creative stuff. You're presenting to clients all over the place. How have you been able to do that? It's okay. A, a really interesting perspective. And then in, in beginning of the pandemic and in the last two years, the early part of pandemic, I think when everybody migrated to using the tech tools, the Zoom, the Teams, uh, there was kind of quite a high level of participatoriness 
from the client partners, from the people mm -hmm. whom we were engaging with, the people whom we were presenting to. As the time went by, uh, though these tech tools were kind of available, uh, we saw a major shift in the mindsets of the people and, and clients, creative clients, uh, top multinational clients, uh, asking us to present the designs. And then all of a sudden you saw the switching off of cameras. You can't read the body language. And, and, that, and that effectiveness, which you have sitting in the meeting room, in the conference language, room where you read each and every person's small gestures the body language the eye contact that has been a major major challenge from a creative work perspective yeah. uh, and then we would we would ideally love to go back to that physical ways of presenting and being in the same room asking the questions looking into the eye look reading the small body languages and and that's that's our major kind of uh move or shift we are encouraging more and more clients to kind of engage back with us in person right and we yes the technology tools are there but yeah. but this part of creative work you need that physical contact so Stuart, you've got people all over the place you've got you know very you, you probably are having different types of meetings and you have a ton of meeting rooms that may not have been set up for hybrid meetings so how have you guys been able to uh, really handle meetings over the last two years and how effective yeah. do you think that's been? It's great question, Kay. I think it's a mixed story for us. And on one front, when I think about the technology, the rapid technology adaption, if we go back pre-pandemic, video was still new for us. Everyone else was doing it, but that really drove the transformation for our organization. And a lot of our meetings are virtual. So certainly getting video deployed quickly, it drove that transformation of video. A lot of those virtual meetings actually, I think, increased in effectiveness, having mm -hmm. that video capability um, versus bridge line and, uh, and screen sharing. Seems like 1980s now. Um, on the a flip side, you know, we moved from, you know, 30 to 40% of our workforce being hybrid to now 75% of our workforce being hybrid. So there is less opportunity for in-person collaboration um, to your point, we design the meeting spaces. We, we be, have these big central meeting spaces that are designed around bringing people together. We've right. already embedded video conferencing in them. They work well in kind of a small medium format. We have eight to 10 to 20 people. Once you start to get to those bigger meeting formats, we struggle with you. Know, how do you get 100 people in a room and then still have engagement from the video participants, right? Or you know, yeah. once you get above that 15, 20 size, it's challenging, and so we're still struggling with that. I'm not sure there's a good technology solution out there for it. Well, I don't know, but uh, Kanal, what do you think? What? Do you, how are you guys doing? Sorry, be back. don't uh, worry. I, I, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, no it's, it's been a similar journey for us as well, um, but it's it's kind of being. Um, you know constant change and within the change comes the evolution part the the discovery part and then the next steps kind of part right so um uh it was a very different part and i can let me bring the human aspect to this you know uh, after the pandemic when we were started doing meetings guess what the first 10 minutes were how are you how is the family how are you navigating right so the, the human component used to come in because the, the people who i used to see every day work with every day sit like you know sit right besides them every day now i'm not seeing them for the next week the next month right so mm -hmm. that first 10 minutes was always the human component how are you doing and relating to the challenges that they or their family were facing right so 
the, the reason why I bring them in is that because, you know, meeting effectiveness was first just measured through, you know, what is the agenda? What is the purpose? Are you able to hit that? And then what do you come out of it, right? The next steps. But here the human use component used to come in and then sort of somehow derail the meeting, rail the meetings okay. in the first three or four months. And that's why I rated really low is that, you know, something else used to creep in and, and we were not able to get through what we wanted to get through because yeah. of the human touch and the human component. And slowly, as things became BAU, the new norm became the BAU. We started concentrating on what's working, what's not working. And that's why I'm rating my effectiveness really low when I started, because there right. were so many things to figure out. And, and this is just crazy, but we were just asking simple stuff. Hey, is your internet working? Or why are you glitching? Or is this service better than the other? Right? Some simple things we were discussing because now uh, what we considered as a given that internet always has high speed, works perfect when we're at work. Now we're at home, you know, there are kids running in and all of a sudden we're at the meetings and I'm picking up my kids and, you know, comforting them at the same time, trying to answer your questions. So, so yeah. that's why I was relate the human component to all which we were exposed to. Um, you know, slowly navigating from two to seven. Not that I'm saying that was not important, but at that time, you know, acknowledging the human component was way more important than then slowing on catching on to the work because that's what we are, right? People is the is, is the biggest resource a company can have. So uh, that's kind yeah. of my experience. Well, and we we saw a lot of people and we got introduced to every all their personal aspects. And I think for some people that was incredibly stressful. You know, not everybody has a private office in their house that they have a setup. Uh, a lot of people, you know, if you're in the 20s and you're sitting, you know, you have a, you're sitting in a one-room apartment with two roommates, or you know, you're you're only you're in an efficiency apartment and your bed is in the background, you know, it's not very professional for them. And I think a lot of the younger generation really struggled with that as well. So yeah, lots of different challenges. So we have a comment from Vincent, and Vincent basically says that it's been really tough working from home, especially for property appraisers. Yes, because you have to be in the field. So, you know, anybody that had to be in the field or be physically out and engaged, that was absolutely tough. But he also says that when it came, uh, if you came in as a new hire, which again, we know that there was a huge percentage of people that came in as new hires and or onboarding became very challenging. So Ali, the next question. Oh, wait, sorry, I forgot. Let's share the, finding, the uh, findings. You guys got to keep me honest here. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. All right, so meeting effectiveness, uh, very challenging. Okay, so now we got some people that are saying that. Uh, somewhat challenging. So 40% have found that it was somewhat or very challenging. Uh, and we've got about 52% uh, that have said that it was been, been pretty effective. So that's good. I think there's an interesting survey that showed that um, it has been very effective for a lot of individuals their primary contacts and people that they needed to meet with, but their secondary and tertiary connections, going back to Bamal and Kamal, which you were saying about, you know, those individuals that you may have met in the hallway, et cetera, dropped to almost nothing. And so I think a lot of people are concerned that, yes, they might have been effective, but we're also becoming more and more siloed because we're only connecting with the people we have to connect with and those other connections aren't necessarily happening. So interesting food for thought. So Ali, I'm sorry, I'm gonna come back to you with our third question and picking up on what Vincent said about onboarding has been challenging. We've heard some really interesting things. Like I read the other day that Accenture has onboarded 10,000 people in the metaverse. We have lots of clients that are creating like 
the university where they're onboarding people and bringing everybody in, renew recruits to onboard them. What did you find during the last two years? What experiences do you think improved? You had an uptick in or dropped? And I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to give you some options and choices. So heard a lot about productivity. But what about quality or innovation or onboarding, to Vincent's point, or culture or professional development or silos? So, Ali, I'm going to let you pick one or two of those, and then uh, we'll get some other inputs about what's been good and what's really been a challenge. I, I would first start with, I, I'll give you the bad news and the good news. The bad news is I, I think culture was severely affected. Um, I think getting to know people, onboarding people, human interaction. Um, I'm in and out of commercial real estate buildings all the time, meeting with the REITs, meeting with the tenants. Um, and people are really, really chomp at the bit to just have that social collaboration. I also think that from a culture perspective, um, you have a lot of multitasking with people working from home. Uh, whether it's millennials or people who are in regards to what how people say they're more effective working from home they can ram in more meetings how effective are those meetings are you really focused during those meetings and how much are you really learning are you just being passionate? huh i love you for saying that by the way keep going yeah. I, I, look um we are we we love the telecom cloud space and look, there was a ride for collaboration and UC and cloud and there's services that we benefit and monetize from. Um, in the end of the day, these big buildings aren't going anywhere um, and people need to get back and socialize. So culture has been effective. So that that has been a drop without a question. If people want to argue, I mean, I can I have enough data and I can just show you real live environments. Uh, professional development, I also think as I think people have become um, busier. But is that really more just in their mind or are they really that busy? Are they really, really doing more work? Or are they just ramming in meetings, conference call after conference call because everything is a meeting now because you're not doing that social interaction. So I think we'll argue, are you more effective or not? We can, that, that's a really good debate to have. Um, so I would say of those two bullet points, when we talk about professional development um, and culture have really been yeah. effective. Okay, Here. all right. Now, so and innovation. You yeah. can't coach hard work and work ethic. Uh, you, you can try to hire great. You can you can do your very best, um, but organization uh, is important. Um, people who also have a will to win and really be a difference maker within the organization are going yeah. to benefit from collaboration and technology and become more productive. Right? They just are. We can throw out all the rates of, oh, Zoom allows you to say less travel, this, that, and the fourth, that you can yeah. make the real estate budget and put more towards IT and security. And now security is such a big thing because people are working remotely from home. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly out of you know thin air, we have all these security professionals and cybersecurity professionals that didn't exist four or five years ago. So okay, I'm gonna, our, I'm gonna get our audience involved a little bit here. And and Ian, don't have a heart attack, but we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a random poll, but we're gonna have everybody just throw it into the chat here. And, and you guys all get to weigh in on this one too, because Ali, you brought up something that I think is really important. You know, everybody keeps talking about productivity, but what is what is the quality of what is being produced? And people, and and are we more productive because we're working longer hours, and that's leading to anxiety, burnout, and depression, which you know we've seen skyrocket. So here's my question to everybody in the audience, and I want you to put it in the chat: What percentage of people? Or, that are on a call 
are multitasking during that call. And we all know what happens to productivity and or quality when we're multitasking. So just start throwing it in the chat and Bamal, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it over to you. But you know, what, what do you think? I'm a queen of multitasking, by the way. I would have to say almost hundred percent for me. I'm not now, but usually I am. Okay, okay, I know you will. <laughs> so coming <laughs> to where Ali left. And, and businesses, and then picking on the word quality. Uh, yeah. Quality uh, seen from the lens of pure business, numbers, growth, uh, new hires, uh, probably various sectors business, whether it is manufacturing or service industry or, or any other industry, they have grown. But has true quality been achieved uh, from the perspective of, again, going back to the same point of innovation and social capital and culture? Uh, what we find out when we speak to our clients and, and whom we are handholding right now to migrate to a more hybrid style of workspace and, and trying to create a more powerful tool in their hand to bring the people back to work because everybody's trying to solve that question of how do I bring the people back to work? How do yeah. I bring them uh, in a physical space where they can engage in real time and then they can kind of develop that social connect again, those impromptu chats while going into the meeting, while coming out of the meeting. So from our perspective, what we are reading from the clients, and, and I totally agree with Ali on this and what you said Kay, earlier, the cultural growth of companies have really stagnated. And, and I, I say that because the 30% numbers, which you quoted earlier of new hires, I know of companies who have done higher than that in, in yeah, this last two years. And those people have not really, really identified with the culture of the company because they have not been beyond the silo, beyond the group whom they are working for. So, so the cross-cultural, the cross-group, the cross-businesses function and engagements have really dropped. And, and I, I seriously wonder uh, when we talk about quality and, and, and what, what kind of quality are we talking there? Because in terms of the social development and personality development, peer-to-peer -peer learnings, peer-to-peer -peer kind of push to each other to upskill themselves, that that those quotients have really really gone down in terms of effectiveness and one point i would like to bring here k which is your favorite subject in terms of effectiveness and efficiency the people who belong to those neurodiverse personalities and then okay. they stretch across all the segments all the sector of works across demographics and when we talk about one in seven as a neurodiverse personality uh, and, and 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 belonging to hypo or hypersensitive uh, yeah. They are the people who have gone through major challenges in terms of mental well-being because they are working starting beginning of the pandemic. They were working from home. They did not have any other settings except to do focus tasks or processing tasks for hours and hours and hours. And, and, and the office space, which they are coming back to now, needs to be relooked at, repurposed, create new settings where we bring them to work for doing the non-focus work. And therefore, we add to their efficiency of producing and the effectiveness. So there are there are various ways of looking at it. And, yeah. and yes, businesses have flourished, but these are the components in terms of innovation, social capital culture, big drops. Yeah, I think so. I think and, that's interesting. And Kay, I want to add, yeah. you know, you, and I'm sorry that we got into the, the negative component of this question, is, is um, 
not to be named, but employees in our industry that work at the suppliers, not the consultants that start our own entrepreneurship consultancy groups that sell the suppliers, but employees at the suppliers, unfortunately, took advantage of the situation. And I think they did it in all businesses, not just the telecom space. Um, I, I caught wind of employees having two or three different jobs for two or three different suppliers at one time. They felt like they could actually, during the pandemic, be employed by multiple companies at one time. It drove actually some insubordinate behavior, in fact. Um, so I, look, there was a lot of problems that we saw uh, in our space with, pro yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, so, well, you're, gonna, uh, you're actually, you're actually make, giving me a huge challenge and Stuart, the, Stuart and Canal, the challenge is gonna come to you because I'm gonna make you say a positive thing to, to counter all this negative because there are some positive things. But before I do that, Holly, I wanna just share uh, we're getting tons of stuff in the chat, and I'm not seeing it all, but Chuck is feeding a lot of it to us. Uh, I think the lowest number that I saw was 50% of the time people are multitasking. It's the lowest number, and I love Vincent, you said 120%, which means you're triple tasking, Vincent, if, you, if you're going over 100% of the time. I love that. And then we also have a great comment in here that says, no arguing that there's value of face-to-face, -face, uh, but giving people the, the choice to work from home when needed and go in can be very effective. So Kanal and Stuart, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sorry, but you got to give me an uptick. Like what, what was one of the positive things about being in this, in this, you know, uh, experience for the last two years? What do yeah, you think? Kay Stewart here. I, I will say, I think there is a positive in that it's kind of normalized hybrid work, right? So like I said, 30% of our workforce, 35 was hybrid work pre-pandemic. You know, and there was divergent opinions on that. Are those folks as effective? Can we be effective as an organization uh, for those folks who are hybrid versus in the office five days a week? And, and it really did change senior leaders' opinions. Folks who were in the office five days a week in the past and were all about need to be in the office as a senior leader have now accepted hybrid. And they're like, hey, it's okay. A day or two a week, I'll work from home. I can, you know, if I have a plumber coming over to fix a dishwasher, I can do that and get my work done. And they've seen, you know, it's opened their eyes and I think it, it's normalized that in the industry. So I, I think it's it's been good from that perspective. Um, mm -hmm. in, in, invite Kunal to, to chime in as well on that one. Well, I'm just going to say real quickly that, you know, our research has shown that the least engaged individuals, and this is in the past, but the least engaged were people that were always remote, that didn't ever see their their employees or their, their colleagues and felt really disconnected and isolated. The people that were the second group of least engaged were the ones that were always in the office, didn't have any choice, and, and just... Uh, kind of took it for granted that they were near their employees and they stopped making the effort. The people that were the most engaged were the ones that had a little bit of choice, meaning when I'm in the office, I appreciate it. When I'm outside of the office, I appreciate it. And that might be a little bit of that secret sauce. But Kanal, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to give me a positive. What was a good thing that came from all this? Cause there was, there are good things. So give, give me one. Well, it, it looks like um, Stuart and I have the same cheat sheet where we read our comments from. So it looks like <laughs> he, all, he already uh, gave mine in, but I'll bring another perspective. I'll try to at least, uh, um, you know, being one of the things in being, um, you know, in, I want to say high traffic areas like San Francisco Bay Area was, you know, commuting to work um, and uh, being able to not sit in my car for an hour and a half each way. So that's that's to me was a three hours of productivity back to the company work, uh, and also uh, I would spin this as a positive. Uh, you know, 
before you know we have to have like rigid office hours where you know people used to just uh, give you comments between nine to five or nine to four now because of the flexible work hours that we had i could even ping people at like seven or eight pm and and somehow you know um, a few of our timings match because we got the chance to connect with our kids you know spend some quality time with them put them to bed and then come back and do what are the productive work that we wanted to do so i'm going to spin this as a positive that give it putting in flexibility um, increase productivity and probably to, to Stuart's comment is that, you know, it's, it's really uh, you having the flexibility to use your time well and, and to the most productive time of the day when you can really sort of, you know, bring your creative juices flowing. So I think that to me is, is a positive. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to the next question. As soon as I get the lights to come back on, I got to wave my arms a little bit. Um, but Stuart, I know you think it's funny, right? Uh, Scott, so this is, this is about, uh, energy efficiency, right? So, uh, Scott, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it to you, yeah. and I'm gonna ask you what changes are you seeing that we're having to make to really accommodate hybrid work? Let's say, I mean, I think there's a there's two ways to answer that, right? One is sort of the stance of the business. We sort of mentioned that earlier, so I won't dwell there. It's kind of how far along their journey to having a light footprint on a per employee basis to be able to work were they already. Right. Yeah. So that so for the businesses that were not along that journey, that change is obvious. Right. They're they're trying to figure out how to flatten the work experience to make it consistent, whether you're in or whether you're out, as opposed to there being the out of office have nots and the in office haves. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Creating very different cultures. Right. Like, you know, totally. the, the, the ends. Yes. Yeah. I'm questioning. I mean, Stuart said earlier, you know, they were 30 percent, uh, you know, pre pandemic sort of in that hybrid or at-home work scenario. You know, our experience is probably in that 20% range across customer bases. I think now we don't have that option anymore. So I think the biggest, that's probably the biggest change right now is that we we were on one extreme with probably 20%, businesses expecting 20% of their employees would be remote. And it was okay that it was a semi-substandard experience when you were at home because that was the expectation. Right. Yeah. Then we swung the needle all the way the other way and everybody's at home. The whole thing flattens out and is normalized. Right. So I think the biggest change now is the idea that we're looking at our associates and going, we don't get to choose which is the better experience than the other. We have to find ways to, to flatten the experience as much as possible. You know, the days of like, well, the, you know, the legacy app in the back in our data center just works a whole lot better in the office. I know that feels old school, but we still see it everywhere. Yeah. You know, that's really where the where where I see the most change happening. I think the other one is really kind of cultural, um, and I, not to get back to that, I'm going to being yeah. a problem. Really thinking of it more from a governance perspective. You know, we yeah. we ran into use of these collaboration tools, not just video, but you know, kind of asynchronous chat, team structured communication, topic structured communication, and then we just said, "Have at it." And everybody threw in, which was great, but we created chaos in the meantime, right? So one of the things that, you know, Ali and I contend with all the time is customers going, hey, I turned on, you can insert any of the four or five platforms we were talking about. We turned it on because we already had it and everybody started using all these new features, but IT or corporate or organizational development HR didn't come in and say, what constitutes a team? How do you use this? What files should you share? What? So a lot of it, when I say let, being less, you know, more cultural and more technical. I mean that more from a governance perspective, sort of how do we, we're never going to put the genie back in the bottle, but can we ratchet it back and apply standards so that it's a little bit easier for somebody to navigate 
as opposed to just going to the search bar and looking for a word and hoping it pops up somewhere in this yeah. giant new org you created. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw down a little bit of a challenge here to Stuart and Canal, uh, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna make a statement and you can argue with me, okay? And, and I five kids, so please do argue with me. I get it every night at my kitchen table. So I'm gonna say that um, I my biggest fear is that hybrid is actually the hardest model and it can be the worst of both. I commuted into the office to sit on a Zoom call all day, right? How do we avoid it being the worst of both? What do we need to do to really make accommodations to accommodate hybrid work? So Stuart, I'm gonna to go, to, go to you first. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that, okay? I think hybrid work to me versus full-time remote, there are advantages there. I think where the challenge is, is really coordination, right? Because you can still get the best of both worlds as long as you're coordinating across the teams and maximizing that time in person together, right? So how do we think about, from my perspective, how do we think about creating workspaces that one, attract folks in and, and bring folks in together, and they may look different to what we've done in the past. Um, for example, we've, We've gone very heavy on amenity space since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We used to build out like one floor in a building. Now we're targeting five to six floors in a building. So drop in amenity space, bring groups together. They're not always the same teams, right? We'd functionally align groups based on their their role in the organization. But with agile and, and cross-team collaboration, you can bring a folk, bunch of folks together, bring them together in some non-traditional workspace. So that's what we're focusing on. I, and then how do you bring in the video conference element to that? Like I said, I think we've actually been pretty effective in the smaller, you know, when you have a group of 10 and you want to integrate some, uh, some video conference participants, the bigger it gets, we're, we're still challenged there. But I'm, I'm hopeful we'll continue to make progress there. Uh, and, and then bringing together folks, I think periodically, and we've seen success with this, bringing together folks periodically on site together uh, in the one city really to create that connection. It just makes work more frictionless going forward. When you met in person, you you know the individual, you know their family, their history, what they're like, and um, you know it just makes future interactions remotely um, easier. Canal, thoughts from you? <clears throat> oh, thanks, Stuart. <clears throat> so uh, I think it it might just uh, really interesting thoughts by Stuart. I think I'm gonna probably align with most of what he said. Um, and and talk about the benefits, but at the same time, I just probably need to take a, a you know five seconds or so just to define what hybrid really means because it means different to different people. Um, so for us, what hybrid really means is this dedicated balance between being at office and being at home. Um, so I think our our leadership was very purposeful when when they did this uh, sort of we call it the transition to hybrid work, where you know employees are able to stick this delicate balance. Whenever there has to be collaboration, community building, you know, understanding the culture, which was, you know, often mentioned this call, you know, you tend to put that time, which is for us three days a week, you come in and, and then the business or, you know, whatever team you're in gets to set those three days that we all come in, we collaborate together, um, you know, we, we are mostly in the meeting rooms, we are doing all of the team functions together. And then the rest of the days when it's more, I call it production work or head down work, where what are you know, your takeaway from the meetings are, you're doing that. So that way there is some equity, there is some method to the madness, if you will, in, in how you distribute that work. Now, I just want to bring in an important point, which I'll probably touch later on when technology comes in, is that when you are in uh, and when you're collaborating, when you're in meetings, that does not mean that some people who have 
been approved to be completely remote going back to you know Stuart's point that some of the workforce is always remote right because their job functions have been approved to be remote um, and when you're sitting in those um, you know GVC calls or zoom calls there is still equity in that meeting you know there is still people get the chance to speak up who are on the zoom call the same as you are in the you know in, in the office because it's all been you know sort of being designed that way right so there's equity and that's where I think technology is coming I'm sort of answering questions ahead of time but I'm just trying to <laughs> The picture yes exactly i'm just trying to paint the picture of what hybrid work it's neither this yeah. is neither that is that fine balance and it's really up to that own organization to find that where the delicate balance is in, in this line right so there's no right or wrong it's just that what learning from your team what that right is and then being at that point and then continuously innovating um that to me is that that so you're making sure it's the, yeah so you're making sure that it's the best of both right so i'm yeah. going to go there i'm going to go i'm going to go to the technology part because we talked about uh, how can technology improve the occupant experience so i'm sorry how is technology aiding in how we're going into hybrid and the occupancy or the occupant experience so bamal i'm going to start with you because I, you gave me the finger and so I'm going to let you. I, I had a question, yeah. which was directed it was towards Kunal. It was a polite two-finger point. But he, he did. When, when, when he cheated and brought the technology part up, so I had a question there. And if I can uh, go back to that question yes. first before I answer my question. Uh, go for it. Uh, Kunal, you spoke about uh, equitable experience uh, in terms of the uh, AV and the video conferencing and those challenges. So. Uh, I, I hear about some part of the equitable experience which you just mentioned. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that? About how 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 is Google working on that equitable experience part, enhancing into more immersive aspects? I think it's um, it, it's it's a pretty deep question, and I'll just touch on it and maybe go in details later on. But it's it's all about you know having that 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 very delicate equity balance um, when you're in this meeting. So for example. Um, you know, developing using the technology to raise features such as, you know, I want to be nice and polite and not interrupt you when you're speaking, but I do have a point. So the technology can come in by aiding, you know, features such as, you know, I have my hand up, but virtually. So the ping comes in, correct? So uh, that's one. Second is, uh, you know, sometimes when we are at home, right, uh, just like I'm today, I haven't turned on my lights, but, you know, there is still the lighting feature, right? So we want to make sure that people who are in the conference rooms are in the same way, in the same light, you know, in the same way that we are looking at people who are online. So there are a lot of small things, but they mean a lot when, when you want to have equity in the meeting room and conference room. So uh, again, I'll take a deeper dive when the chance comes, but I'm just giving you some flavor as to what we are touching on when we mean equity uh, and by using technology. Sure, and, and Kay, going back to what you asked, so from our perspective, when we define the hybrid work style, and I pick it up from what Konal said earlier, the hybrid work definition means different to different companies, different verticals, or even within a company. And, and but in terms of the two aspects which we see, and, and one coming from the workplace designer aspect, uh, the technology tools uh, which we are kind of engaging with the clients and implementing uh, to design more hybrid suited workplaces uh, is diving into the data part first and, and, and deploying technology which helps us to move towards data-driven design. So by deploying sensors in the current environment, uh, uh, collecting data, collecting data, analyzing those data and patterns of usage, and then going back to the teams and the client partners of suggesting them the right settings which will help them into more hybrid work style. 
because when we talk about hybrid work style uh, as a pattern we expect that more and more focused work would be conducted from the work from home environment and the people would be coming for more for collaborative co-creating engaging learning upskilling activities do they have those kind of settings which settings are more popular where people are dwelling more or spending more time though we need to collect those real-time data then I, I i saw something up front in the video of of what grid sense propagates or what word sense propagates those those are the technological tools which we as design partners are implementing and engaging with the client today and going okay, on the so, other side so, so I, I just i'm going to chime in real quickly here because i think that there's a really important thing here and i think there's a distinction between thin data and thick data so as a designer i cannot tell you how many times people have said hey we need we need more conference rooms because all our conference rooms are booked because the data is telling you that they're all booked but when i go and walk the space they're all empty or there's one person sitting in a conference room for 10 people and so we have to understand we can't just say what's being used is it being is it being misused is it being repurposed what are they actually doing we need to dig into it because my fear is we're going to collect a bunch of information and make rash decisions based on things like a workspace might not be occupied not because nobody liked it but because it was directly under an air vent or the power was broken or the the arm wasn't working or it was in a bad spot and so we we can't be lazy and not ask the why and really dig into what the data is telling us otherwise i fear we're going to get a lot of thin data and make some dumb decisions based on it so sorry absolutely absolutely and and i, I was just going into the experiential part of it the technology which we are deploying and using and 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 when people are planning to move to say a hybrid work style of going to the on-site experience of two days or three days or selecting the days of which days to go to on-site so there are tools which we are now using which are obviously the software ai ml based uh, some I, I can quote as something as maybe mapping too which allows the co-employees to plan their work days not just from the task of what they are going to do or which co uh, physical space they are going to co-dwell or through the finer aspects of if you and I are going to the workspace on a particular day and if there are mm -hmm. certain anchor activities happening on site on those days and then we plan our day accordingly. So there are various kind of tech tools which we as workplace designers and workplace strategists are implementing in the digital mm -hmm. transformation of real estate experience comes at the top optimization of real estate because most of the people are asking the question i'm sitting on huge portfolios how do i repurpose how do i optimize my real estate so that's at the second part and then the operational efficiency is at the bottom of the graph so there are technology tools which are being implemented and then i think that's the direction to go forward to answer to our client partner exactly on the basis of data and not basis trends so Ali, what do you think? Uh, you know, my opinion on this is that um, the effectiveness, you know, of employees are really based on the culture that's preceded, the technology that's at their hands, and adoption. Um, I, I, I know I went a completely different direction where, you know, in our space we monetize off telecom and cloud and compute and things of that nature. What I am, what we are seeing is that the technology that we are offering, whether it's host VoIP, collaboration, conferencing, SD-WAN, whatever, it does enable hybrid workplace, 
security and efficiency if it's utilized correctly. However, um, we also see the negative effects. You know, Kanal, you brought up a good point around traffic, things like that. That is very, very true. Um, you know, I live in Washington, D.C., very similar to L.A. and San Francisco, where, you know, it can take an hour, an hour and a half to get home from work. And um, and you can spend a little bit more time with your family, put them to bed and have some calls from midnight that you typically didn't have. I would say I was having those calls, though, pre-COVID, those calls from 8 to 12 anyway. Um, so, OK, I think every organization is truly different from an NGO to a legal to a tech biotech. All different companies are, are very different. Uh, how they perceive work. I do think that eventually uh, ownership or management or ELTs will will drive for a little bit more demand in office space because at some point it's very hard to, uh, um, I guess, conduct business if you don't know what your employees are doing all day. Um, so I, I just, I think that the world's going to repair itself. I really do. And we may go to a hybrid. I think after Labor Day is going to be a big thing. See how people are working between now and the end of the year. At that point, you know, the pandemic at this point has really resolved itself and getting into next year is really going to. Um, I've seen a lot of real estate companies you know, change their model from being a REIT commercial airspace to more residential. I've seen a couple here locally in Washington. I've seen some A-class REITs leave Washington. Um, I've seen other people double down and build more into commercial real estate space. So um, I, I think we're still in a gray area. All right. So, Scott, I'm going to ask you. Uh, for real quickly, how do you think technology is improving the occupancy or the occupants experience? I, mean, I think the most important thing for us to just remember is that occupants are also homeowners, right? <laughs> Who may have some noise coming in the background, by the way, if you can possibly hear that. Uh, so it's really about making that consistent experience. Frank Crombeam uh, put in the chat earlier, like, okay, this is great. How come it's harder for people in the office to be in hybrid meeting environments, you know, now. So it's, you need to think about things simply, right? How do we, you know, have a conference room set up for a particular package? Maybe it's a team's room. And by the way, we have to think about our customers, right? So it, it's one of those things, Kay, you mentioned earlier, like let's, let's not get sucked into data. If we look at our own data and not who we're collaborating with externally, we're gonna build spaces that are locked into a technology where people at home are gonna be on their PC, they could log into any meeting solution. But in the office, oh gosh, in that room, it's really good on WebEx, but I can't use it. I just gotta, I just gotta go to link, right? Yeah. Like this is the problem with these spaces is we've got to look at not just our own data, but we also have to look at who are we collaborating with? Who are we meeting on the outside? And we have to plan our spaces around, you know, the work that's to be done there. And then the people we're collaborating with on the outside. So I, I really believe one of the things we need to be thinking about as we're thinking about the occupant experience is what's the purpose of this conference room? Not just that it has people in it. What is this kind of activities are happening? Is this an external collaboration room? Is this a, right? We need to really be thinking about the, all of the humans and that interaction. And that's one thing that we can think about when we're thinking about the occupant experience. Because some, some conference rooms don't need technology at all. Other ones absolutely do, right? And so we we aren't, you know, I think we're designing to the average and we're throwing the biggest table we can in a room with a max of number of chairs and calling it a day. And that doesn't cut it. There really there's seven different types of meetings. We need to be designing more purposely. We need to have a better understanding. And we got to stop making them all glass boxes, by the way, too. And we have to change the orientation and think about sound and acoustics, et cetera. So uh, great question. So all right, I'm going to jump to the last question. Because 
I want to get to some questions that we have from the audience. So I'm just going to give everybody a chance to weigh in on this one. And Stuart, I'm going to start with you. What do you think is key for the coming months? What What are we, you know, Ali talked about, you know, so the end of summer is coming. Uh, most companies are really trying to get people back in to some degree. You know, what do you think is important for all of us to keep in mind going forward in the coming months? Hmm. And I'm going to ask everybody to do a quick short answer so that we can get to uh, some of the, the audience questions. I, I, would, I would say flexibility and being nimble. I'd say for us, we returned in March. I mean, we've got about 10,000 people out of uh, 200,000 coming back in la after Labor Day, but the rest are already back. And you know, as we planned through RTO, we thought we we're going to have folks all come in and swamp us the first couple of weeks. And uh, it didn't work out that way. So we just had to be nimble and adjust with how people returned and got back into their routines. It all depended on their personal lives and, and what was going on. So, you know, you can design one way, but you need to be flexible because um, it's not going to look how you, you think it's going to look if you're returning. Yeah. Kanal, what do you think? Um, um, it, I think in my sort of opinion, or, or at least what we're trying to do is, I think we need to think about this as a product or as a service um, and uh, just go into the same mindset. You know, you gather requirements, you prioritize them, you implement them and, and you, you put them underway. Right. So that you're designed. Now you have to the moment it's done, you go into continuous R&D where you are having your UX team or your resource systems continuously gathering surveys, asking the occupants if it's meeting their needs or if it's not. And then if it's not, then you're understanding what is not working and going back to the product development cycle. So it's it's almost like you should think of that um, that as a product and service and, and keep innovating and innovating until I think because the needs are going to be ever changing. So it's not like, as you said, one size fits all or once it's done, yeah. it's done because business is changing. The needs are changing. And so ha so have we to be that same mindset. Yeah. So that's honestly why I don't like the word or the title new normal, because I don't think it's normalized yet. And I'm not sure it ever will, because I think we are constantly going to be in some form of evolution and people that keep saying, you know, we, we got a future proof. I don't know about you guys, but I want the future to come. I think we need to be future ready is what we really need to do. So Scott, what do you think as far as what's key in the coming months to keep on, keep in mind? You know, we could we could probably all give the same answer. So I'll just come up with one that comes to mind that's interesting that I'm dealing with in my personal life right now. The the first pandemic graduates are entering our workforces right now. That's a key to think about, mm -hmm. right? How do we make sure you've got a risk right now culturally of the most orphaned part of your workforce entering it? So all of these things that we're talking about culturally in terms of how we're going to manage hybrid, the group that that has been hiding in their rooms, communicating only over these video conferencing things for the last handful of years, just entered your workforce. All right. So one of the things to really think about is pay attention to that group, coddle them and make sure that some of these onboarding types of challenges, cultural challenges that we're thinking about are at least addressed or at least you're, you're paying attention to it with this group just to ensure that we don't end up with a sort of a, a disintermediated two-year window of employees that you know we're going to have a challenge getting to become part of the culture and productive yeah absolutely um all right who ali i think we i think you're the last one to weigh in on this one what do you think yeah hi scott brings up a really good point about our graduates um you know uh 
how they're going to be educated to work professionally, human resources, how's human resources going to reach out to them to coddle them. That's a, that's something I never, I really haven't thought of. Um, I, I, I think um, as I, I get to work with my clients that are working in a hybrid workplace, I get a lot of feedback from the end users, right? Um, not just from the director of IT or the CIOs, the end users of what's actually working for them. Um, and, and I'm getting a, a mixed review. If you look at our polls today, it was really all over the place, right? We had a lot of different opinions. Um, I, I believe that let technology, you know, be what it is. Um, but I do think that ultimately culture um, is going to win. Technology is never going to stop for anyone. And it hasn't really even prior to the pandemic. Um, so I, I think our society is going to learn together. Um, our job as you know, technology consultants and advisors is to provide the options based on really good deep and wide discovery uh, and interviewing the users and the uh, executive teams within the IT staffs to understand what's best for the organization. And, and when I say future-proof, I understand the new normal. I, I don't like that statement either because there's no new normal. We don't know what it's going to be, Kay. I agree with you. That's perfectly said. Um, but future-proof in the sense of make sure that the technology right allows them to come back to the workplace five days a week also allows them to work remotely from home and also secure that is our job right to make sure that that's there and then understand like their crm their email their chat kind of what works for them where their servers are their SaaS applications that's all we can do as advisors and so at this point i don't think i can give you a clear answer um but i think a lot of everyone's opinions and responses can all really good feedback Stuart. i think we all can have a meshed answer that's pretty much same place to be determined. Okay, so we have some questions from the audience that I want to get to. So Alex asked the question, how far do you govern self-organization? So, you know, there are a lot of companies and when they send people home, they didn't have any policies in place. And we know that there are a lot of companies that they've had very successful remote work programs go off the rails because it was, you know, they didn't have the guidelines and people in the void started doing whatever. So how important do you think it is that we put in some policies and things to help people determine how best to be working going forward? What do you think, Stuart? Yeah, I think some high level guidance. Folks want expectations, but I would say keep it really high level, right? If you have, like for us, it's three days at office is an expectation for most groups right we keep it at that we're not we're not saying which days or you know do you do six days over two in one week sorry five days in one week and two or next we're flexible on that we need the individual teams to figure out when it makes sense for them to come in and work and, and to me that needs to be decided at the kind of the lower levels of the organization it makes no sense to do that top of house um so we we provide these general guidelines and and monitor that and and let the teams figure out what works for them Anybody else want to weigh in on that one, Scott? Yeah, I, I would just add that I think that one of the things that we missed in the pandemic, and you know, Kay, you mentioned it earlier about we got time back, and did we we increased workload, but did we increase quality? And I think more importantly, um, did we increase burnout right, amongst our employees at the end of the day? I think one of the things we maybe a lot of us missed in this scenario is what expectations, not of availability, but in terms of return communication, is right. Like a lot of a lot of things that used to be an email moved into chat as an example, right? And then right. we started placing phone calls. So I think organizations really need to think about, listen, you know, 
you can apply whatever standards you want, but I think it's entirely fair for an organization to say, if you need somebody now, it's a phone call. If you're expecting a response in an hour or two hours, it's a chat. If it's informational and it requires a longer reply, it's email, right? Announcements will go this way. I think it's because here's the thing, we're looking at every one of these channels. We're looking at our email, we're looking at our chat, we're looking at our team's chat. We're looking at all that and we're expecting it's to be a overwhelming, right? Because you have, you're sitting here looking at multiple different things. And like somebody said, you know, I, I mean, literally, uh, whether it's teams or whatever, and you know, yeah. all of a sudden it's popping up and some of these things are ridiculously long and then they're not, yeah, it's, it's a little, well, or, you know, here, if, if you take a team's example or, you know, any of the yeah. team modeled communication, right? I'm in a team and somebody chats, and then I get a chat that says, hey, you know, it, it, what's the answer to that? You didn't at me. It didn't hit my notifications just because am I supposed to look at every team every two minutes? Right. Yeah. So just establishing some of that. If you're expecting a return, these are our policies and expectations on now on two hours on one day and the kinds of information that should go in certain spots. So people have an expectation on their availability and on return. So that, you know, getting back to these comments about younger people coming into the workforce who aren't accustomed to the over the walkup of how to act and how quickly to jump, right? Tell them, inform them so that people aren't constantly on edge about, you know, and trying to monitor everything. Okay, so I'm just going to tell the audience real quickly, if you do have a question that you want to put in the chat, please do. Chuck will send it to us and then we'll, we'll try to get it in. So we do have a, uh, a question from Pei. So hi, Pei, how are you? Uh, please speak about ways that you have seen uh, managed change for asynchronous working and knowledge capture and what the CER role is for this. So asynchronous working. So anybody want to weigh in on that one? I'm going to, you know, I, th I think one of the things that's interesting here, and hey, I'm not sure if this is, ex if, is exactly what you're working on, but, or, or asking. Um, I think one of the things that's really, really interesting is when we talk about hybrid work and we talked about different models and Canal, you kind of said this is how we defined hybrid work. Most people sent their employees home. Very few companies said you get to make up your own hours. But a lot of individuals took it upon themselves to decide, hey, you know what? I want to take the afternoon off, but I'll work, you know, into the evening. And a lot of companies didn't necessarily have that as a, a policy. And so that also, not only where you work, but at what hour you work and when you work is also one of the things that's a challenging. Has anybody had any of those issues that they've had to deal with and how have you handled that? I think it's, uh, if, if I may add, I think it's, it's, it's again, going back to, I think our, our previous answers, I think from a little bit from Stuart and Scott and Ali is that, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, whenever there is asynchronous work or synchronous work, either way, I think it's all about, you know, uh, communicating the uh, the expectations of, of, of the company to the employees and vice versa, right? So it's really understanding and I think there lies the key. So uh, if you talk about a managed change, I think that that comes into the, the profile of, uh, of, of if something was communicated and then and then it had to be successfully changed and that would be a managed change, right? Mm -hmm. So through, it happens through many means. It happens through technology, where a managed change could be defined as, you know, we we, we discovered that uh, you know chats were an additional feature that we wanted to add, and then chats were added to the meetings. So uh, not 
the in-meeting chats versus the chats that you get through your Slack or your through GVC or, or whatever your home tool is. So for example, the, the communicators can communicate and then the chat goes away. So I think that would kind of be a managed change where you would say, you know, this was our intent and being clearly focused on the intent. This was our pain point. This was our intent. And that's why we rolled the features out. So that would be a managed change where clear pain points were solved um, and then feedback was taken and then a feature was rolled out. Uh, to me, that would classify as a managed change. And then we would use uh, the, the feedback to understand how successful has it been and what is not working. So I don't know if that answers the question, but again, it's a two part, right? One is having the high level guidance on what the expectations are and then understanding what is not working and then digging in deep and then trying to find the solution and then understanding if that solution worked. Uh, that would classify as a managed change. And there are many technology examples I think we gave, Stuart gave or I gave or Ali gave during this meeting, which which kind of constituted that, that as examples. I don't know if that hope, hopefully answers the question. And, and Kay, I would just add to that. I mean, to what extent do you want to manage a change, right? I think to Kanal's point, if you, if you roll out tools and really make the capabilities known, right, how you should use a tool, kind of share that, and then do you let teams organically figure out how to, you know, work asynchronously? Uh, it may not be the same for every team, depending on the function, you know, tech developers versus customer facing versus someone sitting in a branch. And in, in our case, you know, they're very different roles and it's, it's yeah. very hard to prescribe one approach for asynchronous work that works across those different elements of the organization. Yeah. And it's, it's a challenge too, because, you know, in the void of making a decision or giving clear direction, people will make up their own rules. And so a lot of organizations, the leaders don't want to make something for exactly the complications and the reasons you're saying, Stuart. And they don't want to come across as, you know, this is what we're doing and, you know, rigid. But by pushing it down, you know, you enable and empower people, but you can also create inequity in the organization where, well, wait a minute, how come my friend that's in this group that does basically the same thing I do gets to do this and I don't, et cetera, because they work for different managers, et cetera. And so, you know, I think one of the things that we have seen with remote working programs or hybrid programs in the past is when employees start to turn on each other and or they don't feel like there's equity or there's clarity or there's muddied or et cetera, um, that's when people start to sour on stuff and it starts to kind of create issues. So like we've said for everything else it is a delicate balance and this is why i actually said hybrid i think is actually the hardest of all models because you aren't all this or all that you're trying to find that sweet spot somewhere in the middle of where do we land and how do we you know how do we create that equity okay so we have two minutes left so each one of you get 30 seconds to say what is your parting thought that you want to share with us? So Scott, I'm going to go to you first. And, and what is it? What's your last thought for our audience today? Well, there's some, uh, I'm getting some funny talk back audio there. Though, so I'll, I'll try my best. Um, but I think it's a matter of going in with your eyes wide open and, and trying to at least build suggestive governance around the challenges that you're having. Uh, you know, one of them, and just to piggyback on the last question that I'll just throw in there. You know, we all scrambled to chat, but we're all still terrible users of presence as an example, right? Which is a great expectation setting tool. But I think, look, what's imperative of the business is to just say, we recognize these challenges. Our guidance to answer the challenges are the following. 
And we're giving you all the flexibility in the world to operate inside the guidance and design the work that makes sense for you. I think that's one really important thing. And then I think we're just going to learn an awful lot, an awful lot in the coming six to 12 months on, you know, how culture can be, you know, what are the expectations of our workers and what can we do to build some loyalty and culture back in? So just, you know, be paying attention to what's out there, be thinking about it, make it a, you know, part of the the journey that you're going through, not just adoption of tools, but adoption of making sure that employees are, you know, focused, engaged, loyal, interested, you know, culturally. So I think that's it from my perspective. Okay. Stuart, 30 seconds. What, what's your last thoughts for our group? Yeah. I would say, how do we transform a CRE organization to be more nimble, right? We may have planned out space. We may have planned out technologies for, you know, six multi-year strategies. How do we change that? Hybrid is changing. We still don't know what it looks like. We're all getting used to it and it's going to continue to change. So we need to be more nimble in that environment. If we need to, you know, shift furniture, repurpose uh, floor layouts, you know, switch our technology from reservations to non-reservations, things like that. We need to have those capabilities to change in the moment as uh, we learn more about uh, how we work in this hybrid environment. Okay, Kanal, over to you. What are your thoughts? Parting wisdom. I'm, I'm going to just uh, summarize this in, in three points. Uh, be purposeful and, and clarify your purpose as to what the intent is for that, uh, for the change. Be flexible um, and, and give uh, the 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 flexibility that the, the that the employee or the organization needs, and then three is hear feedback. I think this loop of being purposeful, flexible, and hearing insights will be an iterative loop to, to get to where we want to be in the next six or eight months, or or even a couple of years. All right, and then uh, Ali, you have you have the fi final thirty seconds before we hand it back over to Chuck. I'll be sure to unmute. Provide careful and internal and external discovery with your users um, whether you're talking to your clients directly or your end users make sure you're asking all the right questions about you know their network their computer their desktops their tablets how they're getting into their you know their crm or their ams or their sa or their erp uh, if they're having problems a lot of people don't report their issues um, and i think at that point you know for us you know specifically make sure from it outside in perspective, uh, we're doing a good job uh, providing really, I think, scalable future-proof future technologies, uh, depending on kind of where we end up, uh, which we're doing, we're, which we're doing that. Uh, and I'm not worried about that, but I am looking forward to uh, us getting to a next, uh, the next stage, you know, pre post-COVID. All right. Hi, hi everybody. Thank Can you hear you me, Bimalier? I'm not through the phone. Can you hear me? We can hear you, Bimal. Yeah, we can, Bimal. We just I, ran. I I got some video trouble at my end, and I logged on from my phone. And okay, uh, uh, let me just kind of take my 30 seconds on this. So, uh, from our perspective, it's a discovery journey. Uh, we need to be agile, nimble, and 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 keep ourselves open to adapt ourselves to what come our ways. Because uh, this is, as per us, this is just the beginning. We all are kind of moving to the use of big terminology of hybrid workplace, and and its impact and technology integration but only time will tell in the next nine months, 12 months and so on, what actually works for everyone. Very good. Thank you very much Vimal, for that. Glad you, you, yeah, glad you made it back. <laughs> I saw you drop off. Thank you, Kay. Thank you to all the panelists. I know we're, we're out of time. We could have gone so much farther, but the good news is we've got two other follow-up webinars 
that go deeper and take this from different angles. Uh, be sure to check out those webinars in the corporate real estate series called Navigating, not the new normal, the now normal. Uh, the new corporate real estate tech stack, that's on August 18th, a uh, week from today. And what the workplace experiences, what, what workplace experiences make the commute worth it. That's airing in two weeks on August the 25th. So we'll wrap it up with there. Thank you guys so much. Great discussion. We wish you all well and be safe. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you all.